Welcome to this special program, IT Operations Management, sponsored by ServiceNow. I'm your host, Francis Rose, with the Government Matters Thought Leadership Network. As organizations migrate from legacy systems and take down the data silos that come with that migration, IT leaders also have to make sure they're preventing outages. Today, you'll learn how two tech pros are managing that process and the tools in their toolboxes to make it happen. Joining me now, Dave Catanoso, Director of the Enterprise Cloud Solutions Office at the Department of Veterans Affairs, and Christian Malone, Principal Solutions Architect at ServiceNow. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Dave, I want to start with you. Take me back to as early back in, at the beginning of the pandemic as you can remember. What building blocks did you have in place to allow the agency to shift from working on site to working remotely with minimal outages as much as you could? At the beginning of the pandemic, we were fortunate enough to have a fairly significant remote workforce already. Uh, we were working with about a little over 15,000, 20,000 people working remotely at any given time through a variety of solutions. And we were also happened to be about a year and a half into our journey to the cloud. Um, so we were kind of positioned very well with the VA Enterprise Cloud and our on-prem solutions to both leverage both of those as rapidly as possible to increase our ability to support remote workers and telehealth services to veterans. You mentioned the VA Enterprise Cloud. We've talked about that on, on Government Matters on a number of occasions. What does that consist of? How, do, how is that structured among the three main pieces of the VA? Or is that, am I thinking about it maybe the wrong way, Dave? No, you're thinking about it the right way. It's basically, it's an extension of our IT infrastructure. We have two primary cloud providers, Amazon and, and Microsoft Azure, that we use to create essentially VA uh, environments in the cloud. We have a common set of tooling we've architected up across those two clouds, plus we leverage a lot of cloud native capabilities of those two to create essentially a landing area in the cloud for VA applications and services that we then migrate applications to or build new applications on top of. And that was in place and operating at the time of the pandemic startup. And we were able to rapidly leverage that to move some of our existing capabilities for remote work into the cloud. Our Citrix farms were expanded up into the cloud and we started leveraging some of the cloud native capabilities as well that were provided by both Amazon and Azure to ramp rapidly scale up our abilities. Christian, welcome to the conversation. Thanks for joining us today. What Dave is laying out there, similar to the stories that I've heard across government for how agencies the ones that were successful in doing so, like VA, were able to shift from a mostly in-person work environment to a mostly remote work environment. What have you seen as you've talked to agencies and worked with agencies, served agencies across government about that shift? Same kind of idea? Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same thing that we see across, not just federal, but enterprise as well. Uh, a lot of individuals, it didn't matter whether they were citizens, whether they were soldiers, whether they were government employees, uh, you know, they spent a lot more time at home during this pandemic. And, and that means that they're coming back to work when they're able to, uh, whether that's purely back at work or a hybrid environment with completely different expectations. They relied more during the pandemic, I think, on Netflix and on maybe Zoom when they couldn't go to those family outings and they had to have those Zoom sessions and they, they were stuck at home watching those videos and getting, you know, binge watching and caught up. And so when those systems didn't work, they they learned what to do, which is that you go to that service status page and you maybe find out whether there's an outage or whether it's just you and you need to go restart your home router. And I think as people either stay remote or come back to the work office, they're having those expectations that the federal governments and the, and the, the systems that they rely on have that same level of transparency, that there's an outage, that we know what the issues are and that we're 
we're able to uh, present that to them and, and give them the assistance that they need to be able to move forward. Christian, that word of expectation uh, that, that you use is something that we've talked about on and off in technology and government for as long as I've been paying attention to technology and government. And that is primarily revolves around the concept that the rank and file worker expects the same, has the same expectations at the office that she has at home. Your Netflix analogy is right on point to that point. What's different about a remote work environment expectation, if anything, than the way uh, a federal employee expects uh, the laptop to work or anything else? Is it the same idea, I guess, philosophically uh, and not so much technologically? It now brings up different issues where I can't go down the hall to an IT person or to an IT staff. Or remember what we started to see a lot of was those help bars, those those areas on the third floor that you could go to, and it acted like an Apple, you know, Genius Bar, and you could go get help. We don't have those now. Everybody's in their home. We're not going to send those geniuses out to their individual home. So everybody has that that expectation for that self service that when they go to their banking app or they go to their email or they go wherever and they're having issues they generally have that self-service. They generally have that tier zero response before they actually get on the phone with somebody. And they have for years been bringing that expectation to the office. Now we take that one step further and we need to be able to provide them with, you need a new VPN update, or you do need help with the laptop or download the latest software, or we do have an outage. We know about it and we're going to notify you as, you know, as soon as we know when there's an issue resolved. A lot of cloud providers, Dave, talk about their nines, however many nines you stretch out that they're going to give you that much uptime. That does leave them potential for some zeros and a one. What do you do at VA when you have those situations, however sporadic they may be, where you've got to inform people about what's going on, uh, some anomaly on the network where they're not able to access? We use a variety of monitoring tools and, and, and IT service solutions like ServiceNow to monitor our systems and inform both our IT staff and our users when there's an issue. And then we, we, we'll stand up what we call a critical incident or a high priority incident response team whenever we have any kind of an outage that impacts users to immediately triage the situation and get restoration of services as quickly as possible. And then we have a variety of mechanisms, whether it's email, phone communications, announcements on websites, using the tools like ServiceNow to let our users know uh, when the outage has been resolved and the system's back online. So we do have uh, mechanisms in place to, to do exactly what Christian is saying, is try to manage that incident, hopefully prevent it from happening in the first place by quick response, and then restoring service as quickly as possible and letting our users know when we've got it back online. Let's start there with, uh, Dave, with preventing it from happening in the first place. What's that quick response look like that you alluded to a moment ago? So we've got a variety of tools that we use to monitor the systems in flight. We use AI tools. We're starting to bring them an AI ops capability at the VA integrated amongst themselves to, to kind of correlate various events that are happening to try to predict when we might have a problem or if we are having a problem to send out the necessary alerts to the responsible teams so they can quickly spin up their, their expertise, get in there and resolve the problem and, and make the necessary corrective actions, hopefully to prevent the outage from happening in the first place or to identify the root cause when we do have an outage and quickly bring the right people to bear to, to resolve it and get the service back up. So, so you anticipated one of my questions, Dave, which is, are these tools able to predict when you might have an outage and you can triage that and, and send that uh, uh, and, and send help basically to prevent it from happening in the first place? What does that prevention look like? I, I, I imagine those algorithms refine themselves or you refine them over time to make sure they continue to be more and more accurate. Yeah, they leverage a lot of machine learning. We have a variety of tools that have that capability. We're just starting our journey into getting smart about how to use those tools. 
and implement them at the VA, but we've already had instances where the tools have pointed us in a direction to avoid a problem. And we're just going to get better at that every day as we implement the tools and get them better integrated. Christian, how precise can those tools be? How, how predictive can those tools be at this point in time? And how do you expect that precision uh, uh, to be able to improve over time? I've met individuals, leaders that, that have wanted to sort of turn all the buttons green and said, you just take all the suggestions. And, and I think there's some definitely semi-supervised learning that happens there. And then the other is true as well. I've met with individuals who say, I will never trust it. I, I trust my people. I don't ever trust the machines and, you know, you're, this is not going to happen on my watch. And I think there's a really Goldilocks approach there, which is that we're able to say uh, it, it's not going to be an inflection point where we're simply going to say, OK, flip a switch and it's all going to be AI. It's more likely that we'll have approaches where we start to see data lakes, where it's certain type of data and that makes sense. But in a lot of places, it's domain centric AI, ML, data insights, statistics even that help us to identify really below the waterline, if we think about an iceberg analogy, where above the waterline is everything that we've been visible for to date, all the monitoring, the thresholds that we've set, and below that waterline is all the rest of the actual data. And that's just growing. It's getting bigger and bigger uh, with the systems that we have as we move to cloud, as we refactor, as we have microservices, there's all these new tools and data that's there. And they're very precise. The challenge is we can't just simply throw them at people. We can't just simply create more incidents. And so instead, that's what we really rely on, the correct domain-centric AI tools to be able to pull up insights out you know, from below that waterline and make it visible. And I think when we do that, and not just wholesale replace systems that people have, but instead in integrate those data integrate uh, those data insights, I think it'll be much more meaningful, and I think people will adopt it much quicker. Where's that data coming from? What, on what, Christian, are you collecting that data? It's coming from everywhere. So, you know, before we would have systems and you'd have a very simple set of, of, of data that you could pull. It was logs. You could call SNMP. It was very simple. And now what we end up with is, as systems become refactored is there's a, a proliferation of the, the different, you know, systems. They're decomposed from a server that ran an app down into a, a large number of maybe microservices. And each one of those is kicking off logs, each one of those kicking off metrics, each one of those we have traces maybe that are following an experience through an application from system to system and system. And so it's really kind of pulling that together in a meaningful way. Uh, and so we're not just looking at that raw data and that could be stored in many different ways. Different type of data will be stored in very different ways. Log is going to be stored very different from, from event time series data. Um, and that's why we really rely on the correct algorithm, the correct AI. But I don't think we're hiring data scientists. I, I think they're too busy trying to make cars self-driving and all the great projects that are out there that I want them working on. I think in IT, we see that, that we're more likely to have our operators, our, our app developers, those, those individuals that already have that momentum. We want to be able to give them the right tooling, the right insight so they can continue to do their job in a more meaningful way without having to hire those data scientists to take that raw data and figure out what to do with it. Dave, I have seen the dissatisfaction in the private sector uh, when a streaming service, I'm looking at you, ESPN Plus, isn't available for a period of time. And I wonder how that's manifesting itself on the user experience end within VA. What do you try to learn about the way that your end users experience outages in the very small times that they do? Um, and, and is there information there 
that can help you learn how to prevent them in the future? First of all, when the outage does happen, we're, our application teams immediately start to engage their user base to A, inform them, and B, get a sense of what the impact is so we can quantify it for leadership, how many veterans are impacted, how many VA staff members are impacted, contractors, et cetera. That kind of triages it into what the level of severity is. And then based on that, you know, after we resolve it, we're always going back and doing a root cause analysis to figure out what caused it, how could we have, communica- how could we have communicated better, what, uh, what did the user experience we're also looking at adding all kinds of different tooling, but our application performance monitoring tools, API tools that integrate with our cloud platforms, other tooling like our apps tool like ScienceLogic. And we also have Dynatrace, AppDynamics. I said we use ServiceNow, we're using Splunk. We've got a variety of tools today, and I'm just scratching the surface of the various systems and tools that we use and integrating those together to provide that data lake that Christian mentioned and, and the ability to correlate that data and determine when we really have an incident or we don't is critical to getting better at what we do every day. Christian, when we come back in just a few minutes, we're going to take a, a more forward-leaning look at what's happening as employees come back to the office. What tools do you anticipate being available at some point in the future as we start to think about the remote work environment that we've seen over the last 12, 18 months shifting back towards something that was more like we saw in February of 2020, but it'll never be exactly like that again, I imagine. Yeah, I think that there's some that want to go right back to normal. And I think there's some that, that you know, like where we are and, and, and like the productivity. There's a lot of us in the middle that like some productivity, but I kind of appreciated when, you know, there was downtime between meetings to actually prep. Uh, and, I, and I think what we'll see is, is leadership. Uh, we'll start to see uh, an idea of where's that happy medium, where we can engage our, our citizens, our soldiers, our, our government employees in, in ways where, they're productive, where they're, they have high productivity, um, where we're able to uh, pr- deliver what their expectations are. Um, and at the same time, um, we're not going to take away those support mechanisms that they need. So if they are going to come back to the office, it's important to have that staff there to be able to support them, to be able to keep the offices up and running in those teleconference rooms and everything there that they expect. And if they're remote, same thing. We're going to have to have that that stretch. And this is this is what's happened to IT over the years. We've we've often ended up with one foot in one place and one foot in the other place. And we don't often double the staff when we do that. So just like we were one foot in the cloud and one foot in data centers, we're going to be one foot supporting uh, the the workers in the in the office and one foot uh, in, in helping our remote employees. We're going to rely on the platforms that we use for IT support to allow us to do that more efficiently. So tier zero chat agents, those things that you people are used to using, I think are going to be leveraged more and more to assist us there. Christian, Dave, hold that thought. We'll take a pause and we'll come back and continue in just a moment, gentlemen. Coming up, part two of my conversation with Dave and Christian. You're watching the Government Matters Thought Leadership Network. Stay with us. <laughs> 